Magic Without Fears, Hermetic Podcast. I'm your host, Frater R.C. For more and exclusive episodes, visit magicwithoutfears.com. Thank you for your support. Without Fears, Hermetic Podcast. I'm your host, Frater R.C. For more and exclusive episodes, visit magicwithoutfears.com. Thank you for your support. Sane Occultism, a book review of Teon Fortune. There is upon the inner planes a company which might be called the Company of Avalon, and also there is upon the inner planes a brotherhood which we call Montsalvat. They are not in any way rivals, but they work in different ways, and the contact with each is somewhat different. Within the great hall of Montsalvat, behind the chair of state, whereupon sits the king and master of Montsalvat, there is a small doorway which leads into the chapel of the Grail. There is very little furniture in this chapel, save for a central altar on which there eternally burns in the midst of jeweled flames, the mighty symbol of the spirit through all the ages of man. Dion Fortune, the Holy Grail. Saint Occultism opens with a preface, the Holy Grail, in which is discussed the spirit brotherhood of Montsalvat and the spirit company of Avalon. She describes these groups in relation to the ancient grail mystery. I found her description of the castle in which the grail is kept and the lounge around it interesting. Then I realized that what she was speaking of is an astral location. Note, there is no actual locations in the astral as we normally would perceive them. There are only different energies and modes of consciousness. And the furthest point from the center, the center being the grail, is the first key. Keys are at, or are astral guides or stepping stones used to find your goal. I intend to go to this place if I am able to and if I am allowed, for there are possibly various passwords and other guards. Fortune continues the preface talking about the qualities of the grail and a little about its spiritual history. The first time I read the preface, I thought very little of it and just wanted to get on with the book. Now, upon further examination and careful thought, I have found the secrets hidden within this metaphor of the, of the preface. This is a wonderful beginning to an excellent book. This book is by far the largest of the group and deals with the most subjects, and to touch upon them all would require an entire separate book. The first chapter is called, What is Occultism? And in it, she thoroughly explains what occultism is. I had read over a dozen books on occultism and magic, but this chapter showed me that I did not truly know what occultism is. 
This chapter is more than some definition in a book, for fortune branches into the discussion of other occult subjects, and in the end the reader is left with a good impression of what he is getting into. Fortune moves on to discuss the mystery schools and their specifics, as well as the often used term occult science. Quote, occult science has two enemies to contend with, the skeptical materialist who denies everything, and the credulous occultaster who believes everything. Serious students need to find the middle way between these two extremes. They must, on one hand, avoid credulity, and on the other, recognize that the nature of proof available concerning the inner planes differs from that available for natural science. End quote. Credulity in occult research. The contents of the chapter, Credulity and Occult Research, are of the utmost importance. Fortune says that to be content with self-surety is not enough. There must be found actual proof. She speaks of the clairvoyant discoveries of Rudolf Steiner and W.C. Leadbeater. That is the kind of proof which she says must be found. She speaks of two kinds of proof, objective and subjective. She gives definitions of both and the process through which both may be found. I liked what Fortune had to say about both, and in future applied them to my studies and practices. At various later parts of the book, I got lost in her talk of free association, and it took me a careful reading to come through with a solid understanding. The second half of this chapter does not roll off the end of the tongue. I find that throughout all her books, there are some parts that fit together easily in my mind and some that do not. I think this is because in the parts that are difficult to understand, I am merely not ready. Of course, this may also be due to inconsistencies on the writer's part. Of these two possibilities, I am yet, as yet unsure which is true, but I am sure that time will reveal all. I have found that Fortune has, in these books, three ways of writing. First, she sometimes writes in a preaching manner, stating the various facts. Furthermore, she also has a form of discussion in which I feel drawn into the very pages of the book. Moreover, there are instances where she is actually teaching methods of practice for some of the various occult practices. All forms of her writing have their good points and bad points. In the first two ways of writing, I find that it could quickly become complicated and enigmatic. In the third way, I sometimes got lost about the exact practical application. These are only the bad times. More often, her work is a masterpiece to read. What makes her work so enthralling to read is largely due to the content and her archaic style of writing. The chapter, Meditation and Psychism, is a perfect example of her instructive way of writing. Fortune defines the pathway to contact with your higher self and how, in that state of superconsciousness, all can be known. I, from personal experience, can verify the validity of such a teaching. This is one of the esoteric practices that is considered occult fact. When, is in, when one is in such a state of superconsciousness, answers to all questions may be learned. She details the process of this in an orderly and in-depth manner. I believe, however, that we could, in modern day, go much further into the exact process, but this has yet to happen. The cross-checking of revelations from the higher self, Fortune says, is of utmost importance. Honestly, this is, was something I had never considered before and something I was at first in disagreement with. I thought if it, that if it came from the higher self, it must be true. After reading her thorough explanation why this must be done, I was in complete agreement, and I am not easily given to a change of belief. 
I now use her process of confirmation in all my operations. Fortune continues in the discourse of formulating proof, subjective and objective, in relation to psychism and occultism in general. At times, this discussion becomes lengthy and overdrawn, but I can think of no way to shorten it. Quote, but on the other hand, let us never forget that there is no such thing as revelation to brain consciousness. Revelation is always to higher, the higher self and has then to be translated through into brain consciousness. In that translation, discrepancies may occur, and therefore all revelation and inspiration, even the clearest, requires counterchecking. Meditation and Psychism. In the chapter, The Left-Hand Path, Fortune opens wide the veil that has for centuries hidden the black arts from plain view. I have always noticed that many people grow uneasy when the subject of black occultism is brought up. Fortune explains that this should not be, and I couldn't agree more, that the black arts be exposed for what they truly are. She says that it is in society's hush-hush attitude about them that their true power is gained. She then defines two kinds of occultism, intentional, be thou my good, and unintentional, those who stray onto the left-hand path. She warns about keeping company with either, saying that it can be most unpleasant and the wise should be wary. Quote, there are three motives which prompt him, the black occultist, greed, lust, and desire for power and knowledge for their own sake. End quote. She gives many qualifications for the black occultist, drugs being a large one, as well as ritual magic enacted to harm other people and oneself. She writes throughout the book addressing the neophyte, so from this I assume that she thought this chapter is most important to, for the neophyte, as would the neophyte. I found this chapter to be informative, and a relief that someone finally wrote something sensible about the left-hand path. Quote, Those who interest themselves in occult science constantly meet with warnings concerning the avoidance of the left-hand path. They read of black occultism and dark initiators, and many other items calculated to make the flesh creep. A wholesome respect for the powers of darkness and a disinclination to trifle with them is a sound basis from which to start the investigation of supernormal phenomena, but panic-stricken ignorance does more harm than good. End quote. I would recommend this book to anyone in the field of occultism. It is a level-headed and sane collection of information. This was written in... October and December 1996, uh, when I was 15. Hermetic Science Enterprises is a publishing company based in Scotland, UK, that specializes in Western esoteric printed literature as well as educational videos. With various imprints under its belt, its roster consists of grimoire tradition literature, alchemical works, Golden Dawn tradition books, and the several texts and videos originally belonging to the philosophers of nature. Besides its downloadable videos and standard hardcover edition books, Hermetic Science Enterprises also produces beautiful and precious limited fine edition books that are true pieces of art. For more information to order any of its products, please visit www.hermeticscienceenterprises.co.uk that's hermeticscienceenterprises.co.uk. And as a lot of you know, I've uh, talked with the publisher Lenny on the podcast before, including a six-hour epic uh, extended version on the Patreon, and uh, seen the fine edition of his new grimoire of Scott's Discovery of Witchcraft, which is only available for purchase up to 50 limited copies uh, till the end of May, I believe. So check it out now. 
hermeticscienceenterprises.co.uk.